closing out this series called Game Changer. And in case you have not been here, we've been looking at Jesus after he resurrected. He met with several different people before he went back into heaven. And the first week we saw he was on a victory lap, how uh, as he walked and spent time with two unknown people on this road to Emmaus, which was a seven mile journey, hours Jesus spent just with these people. And then we saw how God gives us a front row seat and Mary Magdalene got to be the first one to see Jesus resurrected. Last week, we talked about this idea of game over, how the disciples thought that it was game over, flip for Jesus. But um, okay, uh, just a few people know what I'm talking about there. A little inside joke. That's why you got to show up to church. You know what I'm saying? You miss stuff from last week and it happens uh, this week. And today, we're going to talk about the idea of an instant replay. There was a disciple that needed an instant replay. I love instant replay. I think honestly, when it comes to sports, football specifically, I could care less about the other ones. Um, Unless you play them, of course, and I only care about it if you're playing. And outside of that, I really don't care. Um, I like instant replay. I feel like it adds to the game. And then sometimes when it comes to instant replay, I think there are times I wish I had instant replay for life. Right? Don't you wish sometimes you had instant replay for life? Yesterday, my daughter had soccer game. And uh, after the game, like we had told her like, uh, hey, if you score a goal, that was kind of the deal all, all year. Like if you score a goal, Dairy Queen, right? So it's like incentive, you know what I mean? You don't score a goal and it's like after a game, she's like, daddy, didn't like, no, you didn't score a goal. This is how it works, right? So she scored a goal, we go to Dairy Queen and everything is good except, you know, sometimes we are in gas and it takes a long time at a fast food restaurant. So we're waiting for all of us to get our different blizzards and it's coming out like just one at a time. And um, my wife and my middle son love the banana split blizzard. I don't know if you ever had one of those. And as we were waiting for it, the guy comes up front and he says, hey, you wanted banana splits, right? I said, no, no, no. It's got to be a banana split blizzard. Well, the guy says, man, we already made one. Do you think? I said, listen, you're about to make my son's day. This is his absolute favorite dessert of all time. I said, but for my wife, she needs the blizzard, all right? So you're going to have to go fix that one. But for him, you can give him the banana split. They come bringing out this banana split. I don't know if you have one from from Dairy Queen. These things are like $12, okay? They're ridiculous. And they're huge. And it's like 17 bananas, you know, lots of ice cream. And they're bringing out this banana split. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And you should see the eyes of my son, you know, he is like quarter Asian. So he's got a slight, he got a slight slant. So it was like, his eyes were all like, oh my gosh. And he gets this banana split and he looks at me and he's like, I'm going straight to the car, daddy. And I said, all right. Cause that we were trying to leave. And so he goes off to the car with this banana split. I think his day has just been made. I'm still in the restaurant and I'm waiting for the one last blizzard for my wife. I come walking out thinking like, man, like I'm just like, you know, dad moment here. You know what I mean? Like, oh, everyone's happy and stuff. It's one of these great things. I come walking outside to World War III. My son comes in and he's like, I got to get napkins. I'm like, what do, you, what do you need napkins for? And I go to the car and there's my wife standing there at the door open. My son spilled the banana split in the car. In the car. And so we're trying to like clean it up. And I'm just saying like, how did, how did that happen? 
you have to know my middle son, he's very bouncy, so he never does anything slow. And he just like, just slipped and like spilled it in the, that would be his luck, right? Like he never gets his dessert because it's like $12. And, and here it is, it's given to him and he spills it, right? There was one little like scoop of vanilla in the middle. That was all that had stayed in the cup. And so I come out there, I'm like, oh my gosh. My son comes back with the napkins and I'm standing there like, what are we supposed to do? Because this car is a mess. How do you even clean it? And she takes the napkins and she slings the ice cream down and splatters it all over my pants. And I'm just looking at it like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm just like looking like you couldn't like, you had to splatter it all over me. And we have this like kind of intense fellowship right there at Dairy Queen, right? And I'm like, hey, like I, like, I can help you, you know, like, and this is very frustrating. And by the time we get it all cleaned, I look up and right there in the window, because of course we're parked right up front, is a family that's been watching us the whole time. <laughs> and I just look at them like, all right, uh, yeah, this is great, right? We're now leaving. And it was horrible in that moment, but like now I'm like retelling the story. It's like, man, I wish, I wish I could have had an instant replay of like this moment, right? I wish I could have seen what happened. Like I wish, like, I wish I would have been that family because you know, I do it, like I people watch and I wish I could have been them to see everything that had taken place. And sometimes we have these things in life where we think through these instant replay moments. Like we have it, like sometimes, you know, you're just laying down or you're just thinking or you're just lost in thought. And, and sometimes, you know, uh, we think back to just moments when we were a kid. We think back to moments when like we were in different phases of our life. Sometimes we replay the things that we really love. And sometimes we replay the things that cause a lot of tension. We replay these things and it's like, man, it's in our mind. And it's just like this instant replay we see over and over again. And, and whether it's positive or negative, it, it really shapes the way we think about things. And sometimes it's no fun. And sometimes we wish we wouldn't have it. And this is kind of where we pick up in our story. Last week, Jesus shows up to the disciples, but one of them wasn't there. And this week, we're going to see, uh, as we focus in on one of the disciples named Thomas, we're going to continue in John 20. And I love this because this has kind of been our main passage of scripture throughout the entire series, but it gives us different snapshots of each moment and starting there in verse 24, read it. it says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and I put the fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Thomas said, that's great that y'all say you saw Jesus. I want an instant replay. I want to see Jesus for myself. And this is where, if you've grown up in church at all, you may have heard the term doubting Thomas. Don't be such a doubting Thomas. All right. And as you continue to read on, it says there in verse 26, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. 
Verse 30 says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Jesus shows up, Thomas believes, and we're going to kind of break down these verses here in a second. But I love those last couple of verses there in John chapter 20. John, who is one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, he's the author of the Gospel of John, says, All of this whole book, he says, my whole gospel is written for the sole purpose that you would believe in Jesus. He said, we could have written about more miracles. We could have written about more things that Jesus accomplished. And he said, there's no way all the books in the world could contain everything that Jesus did. He said, but what I included in here was so that you would believe in Jesus. And when he talks about you, he's talking about us as the reader. And even these 2000 plus years later, John's hope and prayer was that people like us would read the gospel of John and go, I believe that Jesus truly is the son of God, that we can believe in Jesus. And a lot of us, we look at that moment and we look at Thomas and he's like, what a doubter, what an idiot. Like, how does he not, like everyone's already talking about Jesus and yet he refuses to believe. He was a little bit skeptical, but you and I, are very skeptical people as well. Just, I think sometimes just our society, we tend to be kind of skeptical, right? Just skeptical people, that or you're gullible, okay? You're either gullible or you're skeptical. And um, we fact check people, right? Google is so easy because Google knows so much about everything. You're like, oh my gosh, like you can just fact check. Like as a matter of fact, I think there's nothing better than when you're having a conversation with someone and you can prove to them that they're wrong. Right, just the look in their face and go like, ha, you're so dumb, you thought you knew, like, look, look, at, look at right here, you were wrong. And I love to be able to like, in a conversation, someone's talking, I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, actually, actually, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but, uh, but you should get your facts straight. Now, if you don't know someone, that's a little bit different because it's like, you don't wanna cause tension in the conversation. So it's one of those things like after the conversation is over, I'm walking with my wife and I'm like, that person's an idiot. Like they think they know, like, come on, you have those conversations. You know what I'm talking about. We tend to be a little bit skeptical and there's nothing better than just telling someone that they're wrong. It's easy to be a skeptic. I think in our society, it's easy to be a skeptic. Even when it comes to church, it's easy to be skeptical. I mean, golly, there's, there are countless uh, documentaries and things going on right now about churches and its leadership and why sometimes we shouldn't trust them. And I get it. Like, it's very hard to go like, hey, I, I trust that person or I trust the church as an entity, all right? Because why? Maybe you've had past hurts. Maybe it was something a pastor did to you. Maybe it was some experience that you had happen to you and you're skeptical towards God and faith or whatever because if this is what Jesus is about, then maybe you don't want anything to do with it at all, which is why it took a lot of you maybe a long time before you came back to church or you would be open to it again. Thomas is a skeptic. And you have to think back, like Thomas was there for all of the miracles as well. It's like, who can really die and rise again from the dead? But he literally saw that happen to Lazarus, one of Jesus's friends. He was there, but you know, it'd go back to the skeptic would say, but Jesus did it. Surely no one can die and raise their own self from the dead. 
And we are like Thomas. We want an instant replay. But as Jesus shows up, and he just shows up in the room, he tells Thomas to do not be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. That word, believe. And I think that is such a difficult thing for many of us to just simply believe. And Thomas, all these years later, is remembered as the doubter. Don't be a doubting Thomas. And that's the phrase we remember Thomas by. Most of us, you know, if you even knew that Thomas was one of the 12 disciples, we remember him as like, don't be a doubting Thomas. There's even a Sunday school song about him. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Just trust the Lord is promised. Like, some of y'all know I'm talking about old school Sunday school. That's what I'm talking about. You know what kind of church I grew up in. All right. So what if you were remembered in your life at your lowest point? Like just replay your life. What if your lowest moment was like how everyone would remember you for forever? That's kind of what happened to Thomas. In John 14, 5, Thomas is quoted here as saying, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? As a matter of fact, if you read that whole verse, Jesus says, I'm leaving and you know where I'm going. And Thomas was just honest. He's like, Jesus, no, actually, I don't know where you're going. The, the, the fact that you would say, I know where you're going is really peculiar to me, guys, right? You leave me, guys, right? And then Jesus, if you read on, says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. But he says, hey, he was just honest, like, God, we don't know. And then in John 11, as you kind of continue reading, it says, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Well, this context, if you read it here, Jesus found out that Lazarus was dead. And he said, let's go back to the area and let's go see the family. Well, the reason why that's a big deal is because the disciples knew that Jesus just left there and people were trying to kill him there. And so what Thomas says is, you know what? If Jesus wants to go back and risk his life, guys, let's step up. Let's just go die. It's a good day to die. So like Thomas is kind of like brave, you know, like everyone's looking at him like, oh my gosh, like you might want to die. I don't want to die. But that's what Thomas is. He was a brave person. And so he goes to see it and everyone's questioning and Thomas doesn't question it. I'm so thankful that God doesn't define me by my low moments. And God doesn't define you by your low moments. He doesn't look at you that way. That's how the enemy looks at you. And that's why he brings it up to you when you try to do the right things. This is who you are. This is what you've done. This is where you've been. And this is how God can never accept you. And yet Jesus never looks at us that way. We're the only one. So why should we blame people who are skeptical? And so this morning, we're going to kind of look at some thoughts on Thomas and see how that applies to us. But you'll see that at the root of Thomas's skepticism was absence and unbelief. Absence and unbelief. In verse 24, it says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when the Lord came. I don't know about you, but if you kind of read into scripture a little bit, and sometimes the way that I, I look at things and see things, I think it's kind of odd that all the disciples were together except for Thomas. Where's Thomas at? Why is he not there? Why is he the only one gone? 
And so here's a thought I want you to kind of get this morning is that when you're going through a difficult season, don't isolate yourself. Like if you're going through a tough time right now, if you're uh, down the road, like, and I'm, I mean like personally, I mean like in parenting, I mean when it comes to your marriage, I mean when it comes to your like mental health, when it comes to you at work or whatever, when you're going through a difficult season, don't isolate yourself. Thomas isolated himself and all his friends were together and you know, like they had just lost their savior, their best friend and they're consoling each other. Thomas is gone. Where is he at? We don't know. We don't have any of those things, but he isolated himself. Well, you might say, well, Jesus isolated himself, but every time Jesus isolated himself in scripture, it was always to go be with God alone. And then when he was done, he always came back with his friends. God gave you people in your life for a reason. Hey, don't push them away when you're going through a difficult season. When people try to rally around you, I know sometimes we feel like we don't need that. Sometimes like as men, we're like, I don't need nobody. I'm fine. I'll deal with it myself. And honestly, we just need people around us that God has given us. So don't be absent because here's the idea here is that isolation fuels doubts. When you're isolated, the enemy knows how to pick on you. He knows how to tell you what you need. And then your thoughts start running wild, don't they? When left to yourself, we're our worst enemy. That's exactly what happens to Thomas. His thoughts are running wild for however many days he's by himself. And then in verse 25, it says, when Thomas shows up, they told him, we have seen the Lord. And he replies, I won't believe. So again, he's exaggerating. I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and I put my fingers into them. And if I see his hand and I put my hand into the wound in his side, when you're isolated, your mind runs wild and you come up with some crazy stuff in your marriages, in your relationships, to people, whatever. Your thoughts run wild when you are isolated. And Thomas could have been like, you just saw a picture of Jesus. That was photoshopped, right? Or today, golly, like 2023, that's AI generated. <laughs> like, you know, like you thought you saw Jesus. Nah, that was not Jesus. We can make anybody look like anybody nowadays, right? But Thomas, even though he was absent and he, he wasn't there, Thomas was met with persistence and kindness. Thomas was met with persistence and kindness. In other words, his friends were constantly there. His friends were there with him and Thomas was like going crazy. And let's just be honest. Some of us have these moments where we go crazy. We just are like hard to deal with, difficult to talk to. We just go crazy. And that's the nice way to say it in church. You guys can feel like, you know, like sometimes like you just go off the rocker and you're difficult person. That's what happens here with Thomas. But you know what they do? They continue to love him. They continue to be there for him. And when you're dealing with people who are hurt, the best thing you can do is just to show up and to love them, just to be there for them. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything, just sitting in a room with them, just being there with them, just allowing them to just be able to share, be kind, being consistent. That's what Thomas needed because honestly, when you're hurt, you need that more than you realize. You need people to rally around you. 
So keep inviting those people. Keep loving them. Keep being there for them. Keep checking in on them. It means more than you will ever know. And if you're the person who's gone through it, hey, open yourself up to let people in. Don't isolate yourself. In verse 26, we continue reading on. It says, eight days later. Now, I think it's important because this happened on a Sunday and it's saying eight days later. Uh, But in the Jewish culture, today, like Sunday, would be counted as day one. So we'd count one and then all the way. So by the time you got to next Sunday, that would be eight days. So in other words, it's been one week. So one week later, the disciples were together again. It says, this time Thomas was with them, right? So it's like, Thomas, like, dude, don't be by yourself. So he's now, he's there. The doors were locked again. And then suddenly, just like before, Jesus was standing there and he said, peace be with you. Now, I love that because Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. Now, here's what's really cool. Jesus had already showed himself to the disciples. He didn't have to come back. The only reason why Jesus came back is because Thomas was there. Now, I think that's really important to know because sometimes we feel like God doesn't care about us. The disciples had already seen Jesus. He came back specifically for Thomas. And I want you to understand that in moments in your life, Jesus is focused on you and he will come back just for you. He'll come back just so that you can experience something yourself. And he shows up and he says, peace be to you. In verse 27, and he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my wound and my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. When he shows up, Jesus doesn't condemn Thomas. It's like, hey, here I am, Thomas. Golly, do you believe now? Do you believe now? Golly, it looks like I really thought I taught you more about faith. I thought you were there for all these things. (laughs) Obviously, for the rest of your life, everyone, write it, John, write this down. Doubting Thomas. He is now, did you write that? Write it down. Okay, you're going to write a book later. It's going to be called, and that's because you're kind of weird. You won't say your name, but just write it down. Thomas is a doubter. Everyone look at Thomas. He's a doubter. (laughs) Here I am alive, you idiot. You are a doubter. Jesus doesn't do that at all. He comes back and he says, hey, peace be to you. And he says, hey, Thomas, I know it's kind of crazy to think about. He's like, but look at my hands. Like, check them out. He says, feel my side. Like, put your hand there. He said, check this out. I'm real. He doesn't condemn Thomas. He just loves him. And you know what? It would be so different for us if when people just blow it, instead of just getting onto them, if we just showered them with love, what would the response be? I think in this moment right now, I personally get convicted of, like with sometimes my own parenting, because I am definitely going to point some junk out. <laughs> and what if sometimes, not all the time, and I get it, we're raising kids, doing whatever, we show them a different way, a better way, a way worth following. What if that person that hurts you in your life or said things about you, whatever, what if instead of coming at them, you just gave them a totally different perspective? And that's exactly what Jesus did here. And when Jesus says, hey, you can experience me for yourself, you know what Thomas does? 
He doesn't go, now I believe. He didn't, he thought he needed to touch Jesus. All he had to do was see him. All he had to do was see him. And it kind of gives us this last thought this morning that Thomas declares and demonstrated his call to follow Jesus. This is really important here, what Thomas is saying, because sometimes when we read phrases in the Bible, to us in just English, it it just means what it is. Like we see it and we don't, we kind of take for granted the implication of the phrase or the implication of the word. But many theologians believe when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, in the entire Bible, the Bible is made up of 66 books, Old Testament and New Testament. In the entire Bible, they say that this phrase, my Lord and my God, is the clearest depiction of Jesus' deity. That if you want to get a picture of a God who sits on the throne in heaven in the entire universe, it's right here in this moment. And what Thomas was saying to Jesus is, I give you the throne of my heart and you have the throne of the entire universe. You are God. That phrase was so powerful. And when Thomas left there, he became a changed man. As a matter of fact, if you study church history, because we don't get this in the Bible, the kind of story follows now Paul. But if you follow really all the disciples, but specifically if you follow Thomas, of all the 11 disciples that were in Jesus' original crew, Thomas travels farther than anybody else. Jesus told them to go into all the world and the disciples were just content to stay right there in Jerusalem. Thomas ended up going as far as India where he would spread the gospel and become a missionary and telling people about Jesus. And it would be in India where Thomas ironically was killed by a spear. And I think when you read that, it was like, I don't know, I just, I think it's kind of just, amazing to see a person who said, I need to touch the spear wound for myself. And then yet that's the way that he was martyred. And it was said that the very last words in Thomas as he was being killed was, my Lord and my God. That was his entire life because he knew Jesus was there for them. He knew that God wasn't far and he knew that Jesus would show up just to him in that moment. So the question for us this morning is, do we really need the instant replay or do we just need to encounter God? Hey, let's pray.